I love that. And that was another one. The flat. Fun little fact. <laughs> oh. You know what else is a fun fact? That that's getting cut. Yeah, that is a fact. Welcome, 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 nerds and nerdettes. Welcome, obscurials of all shapes and flavors. You're listening to the Nerd Obscurial Podcast. Hi, I'm Eric. And I remain the Oklahoma kid. No, I think I said that already. God damn it. You know, it gets hard. Directed by Lukewarm. So we have some usual suspects. The Chairman of Champions showed up on the Friends episode. Or will show up. Depending. Will or will have showed up. Or will have had shown up in the future. Or w- would have will showed up. I'm trying to find it more. <laughs> I want to put more uh, verbs on top of that. Will have been being about to show up. Nice. Yeah, and that would be like conditional, past perfect, future imperfect um, tense right there. How can we get the that plu- may be the most English nerdy thing I have ever said on this podcast. Can we can we get the plu perfect in there, please? <laughs> right, the plu perfect. Welcome back to Word Talk. Once again, this is not a call-in program about the computer program Word. Abe Gagian is going to lose it if we get one more call about Clippy. I am Dick Hardley, and with me as always is Abe Gagian, complaining very loudly about Clippy. We're going to talk about morphemes, dialect and dialectical marks, where they intersect with diacritical marks. First, juicy dangling participles. <laughs> I'm just receiving word that the ladies of Duke have backed out. A little offended by that last comment, so... Okay, uh... one last thing then for the, for the intro. This has to be discussed. Because I want to say I've used the term on the podcast before. A joiner. Have I said it on the podcast before? Let's get into it. You've, you've said it a lot. So um, it's come to my attention, apparently not a real thing. Um, so maybe it's just, I'm trying to think of what we would call our fans. <laughs> the Obscurialites or what? <laughs> Whatever name you could think. Please. 
Pretzel think, makers. Could we call them pretzel makers? We could, but <laughs> please, our our fan base is going to be the obscure. How can it be anything but? Or possibly salty, salty Americans. Salty Americans. Yeah, I'm a salty American. I'm really into really into the nerd obscurial. What were you uh, talking about before? Oh, that? oh, you're the joiners that you've mentioned joiners okay, a few times. So turns so out it, not according to Google, be, not a an not an industry term. Thing with um, salty Americans. Right now, that's my front runner. I do like salty. I'm sorry, Americans. the obscure man. The obscure. So the obscure sounds like um, a goth band. The, <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like like the Borge. Like you know, we're gonna you know the from uh, Next Generation. Like you know, we're gonna. It sounds mm-hmm. like a big group where, like, somebody else calls Borg. them that. Hard G. Uh, sorry, the Borg. Yes. Um, somebody else calls, calls them, them that. that. They don't call themselves that. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, right, right. I get you. Like, so, like, we're the, the obscure is like someone else would, oh, you're one of those obscure, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like a slur. Right. Um, so. But the real fans are salty Americans. Salty Americans, right. So maybe that could be the inside joke, joke with the salty Americans. But apparently it's not a real thing. According to Google, not an actual industry term. I have term. looked up to try desperately to prove myself right. And there's no greater motivator in the world when you're just like looking on all these websites like it's there somewhere. I got to find it. <laughs> it makes you want to have like. Save me, Internet. Save the me. old library with the microfiche so people know you're doing real research. You know, like. It doesn't look the same when you're just on your phone going to different websites, but it's kind of the same thing. The guy in the microfiche and the big library, like, we've just we've just opened this wide up. They're never going to believe this. Basically, like, whenever you want to look something, do some serious research on something, when you're talking to someone, you want to be able to, like, you just want to have, like, a little video you can text them, yeah. and it will show them a montage of you, like, at the library, going through the stacks, pulling out the microfiche, you know, looking at, having, like, the, the them all laid out on the big light table, and, like, really analyzing, and meanwhile, like, either, while they're watching this, you're just, like, looking it up on Google. But, let's have a real test here, and see if if you are bothered by joiner call in email is there an email address that people can send stuff to the the easiest thing is to uh just click on the link for gadzooks uh, nerd.com and right down at the bottom there's a link to the contact us page let us know if i should stop using the word joiner you know i'm just gonna spam that with me like under fake names right And really bad ones. I'm just going to make it obvious. I'm just going to spam your email. Just forward all these like emails that are actually from me to but this me is and why, then forward them to you and just why. be like, yeah, so the 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 Moklahoma pid in uh, in in uh, Boston says he hates it. Uh, but this is why uh, another listener Oklahoma Oklahoma Jones in uh, in Atlanta has voted no. But this is why Oklahoma is much more like Q than like uh, Modoc. Q's response. He's tickled so much by the fact that this way he's going to do that he just like says it and laughs about it. Whereas like Modoc would actually go out there and like do it all. You know, like that's the reason why he's not a villain. Like because a real villain would just like mental note and then go out and do all that and drive them crazy. <laughs> but he, uh, a lot of TNG references. Yes. More than, more than usual. Funny. Devotees will know that we did bring up uh, Patrick Stewart a lot, so. Sure. 
I should say I was going to make a, another video for you today, <laughs> but you know, I came up with this idea in the morning and I turned to my wife and I'm like, I have a really good idea for a video to make, to annoy, to annoy Eric with, but I'm a little scared. And she's like, what you think he's going to be too offended by it? Like, if you think, how far have you gone here? And I'm like, no, I just don't want to get myself on a list when I call it, when I, uh, Google birds attacking people of color. Well, birds aren't real, so. Oh, oh, they're real. They're real fucking racist is what they are. You've heard this, though, before? I've heard the birds aren't real thing, yeah. I've, you know, I work with some kids who've got, you know, birds aren't real stickers on their water bottle or something. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and I had to, I, I think I I had like to sit them kids. I think it's really meta and fun. I had to sit them down and explain, like, okay, this is a serious issue. You want to deny birds. You're denying what birds are doing to people of color because they are fucking racist. So, I mean, when you say birds aren't real, that's a slap in the face to 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 Puerto Ricans. That is a slap in the face to Samoans. Is the movie that is a slap in the face to the to the Cherokee people? Is the movie Dumbo your like informational movie? You just pop that in and be like, <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say it's it's more maybe the. Uh, Dumbo is the birth of a nation. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> for, for for the for the for the birds birds are racist movement. You know. Okay. I don't think we're gonna top that one. We should have gone to a break a long time ago. <laughs> Probably. Uh, that could itself I think be a uh I check how long open, it's been, but all but that is, is pretty damn funny. <laughs> Disney's Dumbo is the birth of the nation <laughs> of, of birds bird are racism. racist movement. <laughs> Okay, so let's have a soups on. And we'll That's all we need to side. say. Soups on, people. And we're back. We're going to continue on a segment that we're calling All That Jazz. Oklahoma, why don't you run down what we've gone through so far in our... So, in our song-by-song uh, song exploration of the world of jazz, we started off with Charlie Parker performing his rendition of Just Friends. Followed it up with a very special, particular performance of Fine and Mellow. Fine and Mellow, yes. Uh, by Billie Holiday, performed towards the end of her and his career with her longtime friend Lester Young. So, both a, performances, a moment in jazz. I think we're really we're focusing on one particular artist and one particular style, at least, but the way they can solo, like what jazz is defined. So far, we're talking more about musicians and the way they're defining jazz it's the fact that i want to i want to explore all of the angles here and so what we've talked about so far we've talked about charlie parker who's just been able to play around with shit and blast a bunch of notes and just put what melody is on its own head 
And then we focused on the solo, the very specifically the solo from that performance that Lester Young performed. jazz and and i wanted that to be a counterpoint yeah because parker puts in so many notes and lester young so sparse but both of them are jazz exactly so i want to put a counterpoint again to jazz has to be a musician right it has to be a certain artist putting things out jazz can be a song and although oh you want to talk about this song not any one particular person's well although although there is a very particular person who made this song. It's a very particular voice. Uh-huh. There's also a very particular... I think there's a very particular thing about this song in particular representing jazz to me. There's a lot of jazz songs. There's a lot of jazz standards. There's a lot of ways that you can take a song and make it jazz. And there's a lot of songs that have been made that are you know, pure jazz. But this song to me, whereas that dichotomy defined with Charlie Parker and Lester Young, that defined musicianship, what the sound of jazz is, this uh-huh. acoustically as a song defines what jazz is to me, okay? Okay. So you understand where I'm coming from now? Yeah. We like, were... I'm trying to offer counterpoints. That it's, it's just not the musician sometimes. It's, not, it's just not the solos. Jazz can be also a melody. It can be a song. It can be a particular way. And that can be demonstrated there, too. Not just on how you one play with one the particular melody. person did, but... Exactly. Kind of what this thing is in the whole... Sc- what this one song has been over the whole scope of it being performed by all these different people. And the man who wrote it is, like, one of my favorite jazz musicians ever. And it's definitely... Needs to be in the conversation of what jazz is and what it, and how jazz is represented. But also, there's been a ton of folks who have used this song in particular. Let me, let me, I guess, define better. This is, in my opinion, again, all this is just opinion. The best composer of jazz, Thelonious Monk. And I'm actually, I just want to play it here for a little while. I'm curious to know if this melody is recognizable to you. I'm curious to know if this is the very first time you've heard anything like this before. Okay? So this is Thelonious Monk, Blue Boulevard Blues. solos after that is that a melody you recognize at all it is yes i don't think i could have given you the name had you not given it to me but it's a touchstone of a but but i definitely recognize the music 
And I guess where everyone else I was talking about the players, I'm talking about the notes now. I'm talking about the form itself. I'm talking about what's going on here in this song. That can be, like, this is jazz. This song is fucking forward. jazz. Like the <laughs> things about the song that can be carried forward and that are like intrinsic in it. Just the structure of the melody is jazz to me. Yeah. The structure of that yeah. melody. So I do want to point out, I guess, my own bias here. I'm obviously a bopper. I like bop music. Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk. I guess I identify that more as jazz. And I do realize, yeah, you got Glenn Miller, you got Big Band, you have other, other, jazz isn't just a monolith. There's different yeah, things. It's gone through and so when and I say this is jazz, it's this is jazz through my eyes of someone who loves Bob, someone who right. loves this particular style of jazz. Not, you know, like it would have to be Sing 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 by Benny Goodman if it was for the big bands. If I was all about big band, that right. would be yeah. the music that is it's jazz. Like, that is the notes put down on the fucking thing. This is something I was I was trying to, you know, do a little research and stuff, and there was a cat who's doing YouTube videos talking about different licks to use, different jazz licks to use, you know? And uh, he was actually suggesting this one as a lick to use in improvisation in jazz because not only is it iconic, but it meets a lot of nice things. And you can just kind of throw it in as a phrase or two and then go back to yeah. other improvisation. This, he said, which is like really music theory, musician nerdy, right. but I want to know if it means anything to you as well. He said... This song, uh, Blues Boulevard Blues, the melody of the song, he says, the phrase outlines the motion from a third to a flat seventh on a dominant chord. And I know the general right, usage okay. of like that type of thing, but if you actually ask me to explain that exact, no, one, and I, like, I don't think I don't, I don't think no, I, I want to be I, here I, to I, explain I more, it as uh, well. But like when you think about it, like when when you get that bird's eye view of it. I guess is the best way to say it, and because we both know and love music and play music, when you just say something, it, it's like a math equation he just said right there. Where it's like, anyone who doesn't give a shit about math, that means nothing. But if you're a musician and you think about the words that he's saying, even though neither of us are music theory guys, can read music, all that shit, obviously. You know, I, I don't want to go through all the nitty gritties of that, but that kind of makes sense and kind of is a reason why it's such a nice Yeah, thing. it sounds it, right. It, you hear it, it and you're like... I, I can't explain that, but I it definitely makes sense as a musician. But going like, from the third to the seven, like it's all in like B B flat. You know, it's like it's such a fucking awesome and weird. And I love as well the end of the phrasing where it you know because Thelonious Monk was writing on the piano, so he's you know twinkling between two notes. You know. I also saw on YouTube a cat who's doing it on the trombone. And then you also got to see like how fluid in between the notes, because you could really see that like shake and vibration that was made in order to get those little trilly, not even quarter eighth notes, maybe. Anyways, I don't want to get too much. I want to make this accessible for and everybody. It depends on what the I don't want is. this just to be us talking like music theory and all this kind of stuff. Why I love Thelonious Monk as a musician. This is away from his writing and his writing. That, that is one thing that like you can say what you will about him and the way he plays he's like the bob dylan of jazz you can say what he will about like how he's doing it what he's doing is fucking awesome and you have all this evidence from all these other people who are just like that's the shit i need to do that i did you know it's become popular by all these other people like he 
knows what the fuck he's doing and how to fucking build a melody and do shit. You know, he's an amazing riser, writer and composer. Exactly, yes. No argument here. But I do also love him so much because what I love about him, well, I think he is also another totem of jazz in my comprehension of it, is not totem, pillar. Pillar was the word I was looking at. He's such a pillar in jazz. It sounds like he's going to be off. Every time I listen to the motherfucker, it sounds like he's off by like a half beat. It sounds like he's just quite not there. And then he always fucking makes it. Like he just, you don't think he's going to make it. You know, he's like, musically, he's like watching the guy who's running to get like the train or the subway or something like that. And just makes it in time. That's what musically Thelonious Monk is to me. And it's amazing. And I love him. And for me, actually, this was another thing in my notes. Okay, let me start with the beginning and let me see if this makes any sense to you. SAT analogy. This was before SAT analogy. Monk is to Davis, is to Coltrane, as Burroughs is to Kerouac, is to Ginsburg. Yes. Salty Americans, if that means anything to you as well. But I, I really, I feel that. And I, oh, but I, I think there's that thing with like Burroughs where it's like this, he has this aspect where it's like the Oracle of Delphi. Where like he's taking in High his senses of all these like noxious chemicals and getting knocked out and this amazing conduit of the divine comes out of him. Like he doesn't even know at all what's going on and he isn't even maybe doing it in the best way. It's maybe a little weird and conjuncted, but it's still fucking better than the other two in my opinion. Like I, I love William S. Burroughs. I love Thelonious Monk. Like those are the guys of that essay analogy those are the ones that i aspire to be a part of and understand not the other two team ginsburg but okay and he would just say weird ass shit that would blow your fucking mind and it's just like like it's one of those things where it's like you don't even know if he gets how fucking brilliant he is you don't even know like he's in this other little fucking world and he's bringing down these things that are like nourishing us like mana for our fucking soul and psyche but the agency there is not powerful you know which is exactly perfect description of Thelonious Monk in my mind. <laughs> we can take away the name and insert Thelonious Monk, and that is all completely true. But again, like I did really want this one to be focused on the song itself, and however much I do love Thelonious yeah, Monk. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about Thelonious Monk. I, I just, and I actually, I don't, and I don't want to do a lot of different other renditions of it. I thought about figuring out a way to play it ourselves and like do it on like the bass or something like that. And I know I could just type into YouTube and get just a million versions. But if you know anything about jazz music, you know, this is a well-covered song. So that's why you're going to do a scat version of acapella right now. Ba -ba -da god but it works though it's it's i guess this is the other thing is that i am glad we talked about all that stuff and i do hope we keep some of it at the very least with Thelonious monk but like also it's just so fucking fun like just going through those notes even if you're just using the instrument that is your scat voice or whatever you want to do like the it's just the way that it builds and it moves around the shape that it takes dun, 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 like the the bat 
little play, that little fun at the end. God, that's jazz to me. Like that song, if, if we're not talking about who can play a certain phrase or who, what, what sound thing we can get out of it. What is a song that you could just look at the sheet music of if you knew music and be able just to play in front of you? To me, that is jazz. If you, that's the aliens I got to take to them and see, okay, here's the sheet music. This would be a jazz song. That would be the jazz song I would choose, would be Blue Boulevard Blues. I just, I love, like, I, I don't want to get too into theory and thirds and fifths and where we're going here. And I, I don't want to get too bogged down in the technicals, but like there is a up and then a down with jazz where it isn't all just like build, 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 build. You're not always just going up. So like there's that low thing there too where you're swaying and you're talking about swing. You're swinging within these box scales of yeah. the notes themselves. This isn't just about how it's making you feel, just like if you just looked at the musical representation in a visual form, if you just, if you can picture music like that. And I try to, I don't think I do great at it, but a lot of people do a lot better and a lot of people have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. But it's just, it's so fun, it's playful, which were words that when I was hearing it later on when recorded, I realized I used way too much. It sounded weird when I talked about Charlie Parker, but it's just, it's like sardonic, I guess, is a good word for it. Like, there's a tongue in cheek thing there. Like, I'm not playing the fool, but also I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with it. You know, I'm not completely, uh, I'm not giving you everything. I got a little facade of fun and play behind right. there too. I'm just not gonna have the, the waterworks and the tears and melancholy and that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to justify why I, 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 this does matter to me how we unroll it and introduce stuff. And a lot of times the next choice is a reaction to the last choice. So the last two choices, we've been focusing so much just on these. How this particular person performed it in this instance. And then the second one was a reaction to the first where like, you know, the first was playing all these notes and doing all this stuff. And like, no, it, it's not like that. Like it's deduction. It's a process of elimination. Like, I don't know what jazz is, but like, I'll give you this example, then I'll give you a counterpoint of why that's not exactly what it is. And so you can't just learn a million notes and then say, I got jazz, you know? Yeah. I picture it almost like what we're trying to do is describe atomic structure. It's like, okay, this is the area where it is. I can tell you where it's not. <laughs> I can tell you where the electron cloud isn't anymore, <laughs> but I can't give you, it's such small, all things. I can't give you the exact detail or this is where the electron cloud is. This is where the protons and the neutrons are. Like I can go and do everything where these are the things that it aren't. And then you, we can decide what it is from there, you know? And so this is another example to try to help, help with the cloud, help with, you know, defining where we're at. We talked about earlier, it's all about personal perspectives and maybe there's a different Thelonious Monk song that will get you to your jazz nirvana or whatever place it is where you think now I get what jazz is. Yeah. And I guess I, I, I'm in no place to be a guru. So I'm feeling a little dubious <laughs> with that term of nirvana. Nirvana, but um, maybe if you don't know anything about jazz and you're curious and my opinion means anything, then yeah, I think that covers pretty well my feelings of it. And we could go through a million different versions of people playing it. We can go through a, a lot of other stuff, but I think it's 
probably best just to move on and um, let people decide for themselves whether that fits in their perspective what jazz is. I would say listen to it. I, I would actually tell you to listen to all of the album Blue Monk, which that recording in particular came from. He did record it earlier on an album called Five Corners, I believe it was called. Anyways, this was a this was a this was his Moby Dick as well. He recorded it a couple times. It was something that he really wanted to look at from a lot of angles and and really craft. Uh, he wasn't it wasn't a one and done with him. And this right, was kind of his his opus. Right, rightfully so, because it's fucking amazing. Okay, people, let's get a break and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, welcome back. So we have a tournament of champions, something we established in the Friends of Soap. Or, or will have be going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. We're not sure about the timeline here. Yes. So we're going a little bit... We're not sure if this is McAvoy or Stewart, so... There you go. So the idea here is that we take a list, somebody else's list, right? Usually a top 10 list. And then we do a bracket-style tournament and discuss who we think is worthy to move on to be the champion of this tournament. So the, the list that we're taking from this time, it comes from Watch Mojo. QV Hugh is the name of the writer, according to this. And it's the top 10 underrated rock bands. All right. So obviously this is 10. We had to move it down to eight so i just want to give a honorable mention to the ones that were eliminated and didn't make it to the tournament yeah we decided not to have the wild cards in there so the stone roses Which is this, like, well, I, I think Oklahoma, you know them better than me, because I, I, I had to look them up, and I they're, wasn't really that familiar. They're like a 90s, slightly psychedelish Britpop rock. Well, but, frankly, yeah, I, think, I, I think, just didn't know enough about them. Everyone else is such big, big names. and I think this is one that would, like, make our radar more if we were British. In the, the the second one, this would be the Mud Honeys, and the mm. way I know the Mud, mud Honeys, honey. just Mud Honey. Sorry, Mud Honey. They were part of the whole grunge scene and they're cool and everything but it's not like it's something where like i would call them some kind of weird hidden gem now i have a question let's get this because there was some there was some confusion i know on the last episode um or next to last episode if the friend episode has already come out with the uh, showdown at the ok corral whether the you know the what the parameters of the debate works i i was not prepared for it to be a bat fleck versus robert downey jr uh throwdown um I thought it was going to be more general. 
Uh, so let's get. I want to. I want to establish right here. Uh, when we're talking about like, so the two band, you know, we have this bracket, and they're going to play through. Is the winner of each matchup decided by which of these two underrated bands do we think is better, or which of these two bands do we think is more underrated? Are, are is the winner the level of quality of the band or the level of underratedness? Like how strongly were they underrated? I, I feel like there has to be a combination. Okay, and I, I think it's gonna kind of become apparent and I, I want to bring up our, our first matching because I think it will it will be demonstrated this isn't totally about how good of a band you are it is a little bit about how you are rated right right and so I think there's a combination I can't give an easy answer to one okay. or the other because I All think right. it's kind of both so they're both playing a factor they're both playing a factor to some extent I think ultimately they make fucking amazing music is a huge trump. So our number eight seed versus our number one seed. Our number one seed are the Kings. Number eight seed are Credence Clearwater Revival. And this is why I think it's important to talk about that immediately after your conversation here. I feel that CCR is pretty goddamn appropriately rated. They are very well respected. They were definitely doing music in their style. And you, uh, I put a spell on you. I think is a great example. It's a cover from Screaming Jay Hawkins, which they do a really cool Bayou, you know, white trash hillbilly rendition of, which I really like. I, I think it's very, very well. I have including CCR has got a real special part as a hippie redneck <laughs> in my soul. So I'm not saying that they aren't great, but also they're respected a lot and they everyone knows they're pretty great. And I don't know if this writer just had some fucking douchebag friends that kept dissing CCR or why he put it on the list, but they feel pretty appropriately rated to me. Am I wrong with that assessment? No, I would I would agree. They are they are appropriately rated. They are they are very well, like you said, well thought of, well respected as a classic rock band. And they're great. Having some, they have some great songs. They're a great um, band. The there's some that I've I've heard enough, and we can just stop with them now. But they're but also they also have some great songs. Great. And they're and it's because they're good songs. They keep getting Joel used Fogarty over and over. Joe Fogarty is a great songwriter, and even if there's some songs that are overplayed. He just has these 
fucking baller anthems. They're just fucking awesome and beautiful. And yeah, they're thought of as they're thought of as a good classic rock band. They're a B plus. They and are they're a level at a B plus. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. We're gonna have a lot more to talk about with the Kinks because for me the Kinks is a perfect placement and appropriately top seeded when it comes to most underrated bands ever. I agree with you about CCR. I also think the Kinks are very accurately rated. Then my question would be this. Do you think that the Kinks are more accurately rated than CCR? They have an, more of an argument for possibly being considered underrated. I will give you that. Then they move on. Over on the other side of the bracket, we number got... four and number five facing off. Uh, number four is the Violent Femmes. Five is Tears for Fears. I want to give some flowers to the one who I don't think should move on. And that's Tears for Fears. There, there may be like a generational thing for me. I felt like that was more of a like mid-late 80s kind of phenomenon. Mad Mad World is a fucking banger, though. You get whatever you want to say about this group. Like you cannot deny that song. I'll finish and then I'll give you your piece. I got a soft spot for the Violent Femmes. I fucking love their tunes. And so it's not a fair fight. And I do think they're super underrated. But like, I know their big thing was Big Hand. I know you're Blister the in the Sun. Blister in the Sun. That was, that, that was the hook. Right? Blister in the Sun was like their big song that was supposed to be like their big hit. But they have so many fucking cool songs. Like American Music, uh, Added Up. They're fucking rock and roll as shit. But like it's one of those things though where it's like pavement or guided by voices or these like fucking alt bands that I'm super into where I'm. it's hard for me to say because I have so much love for them if it's just like... I'm a fanboy, or if they're really underrated, but even though I I know what they're talking about with Tears for Fears, like I'm a fanboy for Violent Femmes, and that that's that's gonna be my choice. This one, and it's funny because you know it's you know when you think about the whole seeding thing, it's to get the two best teams not playing each other right away, right? Because you know, you're thinking that's gonna be the showdown. So you get this one, you know, number one versus number eight. Well, it's like kind of like. It's that's going to be the Cinderella story if number eight moves on, you right? Know? 
but you get to the one that's number four versus number five, and it's like the most that's the one you think is gonna be the. And to me, yeah. this was because yeah. these two are two of the strongest to me contenders on this tournament for, for being underrated, for being good bands that are underrated. This to me, this was this was the knockdown drag out to me. I think it's because both of them. I think everyone thinks of Tears for Fears now kind of as a you know a one-hit wonder band like you're like oh there's that song we always hear on mtv and then violent femmes people now i think think of as a little bit of a novelty band because they just know blister in the sun and they're like oh it's this weird goofy song a lot of people i think probably you know if you if you play them that song and they're like oh yeah those they'd probably lump it in with like the what was it the presidents of the united states who did who, the peaches you know, yeah, kind of those al- and, alternative, um, a little bit novelty-ish hits. Bloodhound Gang. Yeah. You and me like, I can see them oh, being lumped it? in with that, and the that roof, is... The Roof. Yeah. The Roof is on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, can see, I can see people who, you know, remember it, but not weren't into it, lumping Violent Femmes in with that kind yeah. of level, and yeah. that is a huge underrating of them. Well, but also, um, I can see with Tears for Fears, a lot of people... Saying, oh yeah, they're one-hit wonders, but it's like they had quite a few pretty big hits, they and did, then yes. also um, like putting them in like a Rick Roll one-hit wonder kind of thing, you know, putting them in one of those lists is like, no, and that's why they were pretty fucking and good, I think serious. I can awesome see band. I can see them being thought of that way now, of people being like, right. oh yeah, I remember their song from you know, I remember Shout. I remember everybody wants to rule the world. And no, that is also underrating. That makes them strongly underrated because they got a, a fairly deep catalog, man. And a lot of they had a lot of other songs that were hits when I looked into it. I, I have to say, I I spent a lot of time today. Because I thought we were recording this episode uh, next week. I was going to do a real deep dive into all of these just to just to really be able to be like, I did my research. Yeah. And I was going to do that this coming week. Right. And so I spent today madly YouTubing as much stuff as I could. Because there's some of these I'm really, like Violent Femmes, like I didn't really need to. I'll just say right now, there are three bands on this one where I was like, I don't need to go, but I can, I know it. I like, I know their shit. Like, I don't need to go review this. Uh, these other ones, I went through during the day. I would, I went to YouTube and tried to do as much of a deep dive as I could while I was at work, trying to like get it, listen to the music. And I will say, the one I got the farthest with, where I just like kept, I'm like, okay, let's throw on the next one, let's throw on the next one, was Tears for Fears. Like, I was not, I had not, like, a super deep knowledge. I knew a couple more songs than, like, the hits. Like I said, I ended up spending the most time really diving into Tears for Fears, and I was just like, there was shit where I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know? I never really noticed them, like, how, how, how this, they're doing this stuff, and, like, oh, there's a lot of really good, like, guitar textures in here, but it just can't top. The violent yeah, I was gonna say we ha- we have to be careful here when we want to give our flowers to fucking Tears for Fears and how great they are in Matt Bad World and all this stuff. Like, 
fucking, there's a reason why Violet Femmes. Yes. And Violet Femmes is going to be hard to beat in this whole tournament, I think, in first place. But, like, god damn. Okay. We'll get into that later. Let's yes. get to our, let's go to number three and six. So, on this one, we have ZZ Top. Number three. And our number six seed is affectionately called ELO Electric Light Orchestra. second of these of the three bands on this bracket that i did not go back and do a deep dive on because come on that's up my alley it was funny because i hadn't ever really made this connection but when we were doing the friends episode there was a tom petty song we were doing so i started getting into so like just going down a rabbit hole with tom petty and all this kind of stuff and totally forgot that jeff lynn was in traveling wilbur's yes with uh tom petty george harrison Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, Roy, Roy Orbison. Orbison. The fact that these cultural icons and touchstones are like, no, 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 he belongs with us. I feel like that's out of touch with what the public see out of him. You know what I mean? It's a little bit in the same vein as the Tears for Fears thing. I think ELO a lot of time gets thought of as this band that has some real pop hits. Some great AM radio hits back in the day. And they remember them as that, a band that had some hits. And it's just like, oh, there's a lot more going on than that. The power of ELO, firstly, they just have some fucking bangers. Just some fucking... But the real proof in the pudding, Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky, please tell us why. It's a So such a fucking banger, just awesome song. Amazing song. But then it gets to the end, and there's some fucking like Abbey Road kind of shit, like with the transition. These sound like catchy, simple pop hits, but when you stop and really pay attention to what's going on, you're like, oh no, like the, the chord progressions, the orchestrations, the transitions, like this is some real like composerly musicianship. Ahead of his fucking time. Oh, so ahead, ahead of, his time. of his time. The other thing also, though, it, it did remind me of when I was thinking about it, the harmonies and stuff. Everybody 
such good harmonies going on in there. There's a phrase you'll like. You'll see it when you read when you're reading about like video games, and you know they'll talk about like some game, like some game designer makes this game when he works for this one company, right? And then he goes to some other company. Well, he doesn't own that IP anymore, but he makes a game, or he or she, the or they pretzels salutes all Americans, no matter what goddamn pronoun they choose. There's only two types of Americans: salty and those who need to get their shit together. Nice. They'll go to another company and make a game that's like almost feels like it should be the sequel to that other one they made, but they can't technically be because they don't own the intellectual rights. They'll call it a spiritual successor. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's not a it's not a specifically a follow up, but it's they're very much they're taking what they were doing with that one and like here's the next step. Uh, and it's like yeah, yeah. I ELO. ELO's what ELO does is the spiritual to, successor to, to Pet that. Sounds. All of this being said, we all know where where this thing is going. Let's give some flowers to ZZ Top. I mean, we're not saying John Mayer murdered whichever member of ZZ Top is the one that's dead. Okay, but this is this is we're just saying he can't prove he didn't. So definitely, like I I, I want to point out my own prejudice here when it comes to some of these groups. ZZ Top culturally, I connect it to Back to the Future. It's just. When I listen to the ZZ Top songs, that's what I think of. It's not to say there's anything bad about their songs. And, and I, you actually, we were just talking about it earlier with Van Halen, how they are appropriately rated because... Yes, according to Chuck Klosterman, uh, you right. should go out. Not endorsing this podcast, but uh, we are definitely endorsing him. Go out and get his any of his books, but especially... Uh, Chuck Klosterman 4 and it's done within the style of Led Zeppelin 4 with some runes on the on the on the on the spine in place of a title. Uh, he has an essay in there about the most accurately rated bands and that is an excellent excellent piece of uh, humorous musical And what critique. does he say about Van Halen? And Van Halen is the most accurately rated band because everyone loves to listen to David Lee Roth Van Halen at a party when they just want to have a good time. And then pretty much forgets about them the rest of the time, except the fact that to say like, oh, well, he's an amazing guitarist, you know, but are they sitting down to listen to it? No. I think ZZ Top is a similar thing, like amazing party band. Amazing party band. Uh, But I do have this one song just to kind of, I guess, point out their uh, underratedness, why I think actually it's not a bad choice. Mm -hmm. They're appropriate for this list. And there's this one song in particular... Where for me, it gets down to like very Delta Blues and fucking cool. I think a lot of people have heard this song and haven't realized it's ZZ Top. 
It's just a fucking banger blues thing. That sounds like something that fucking John Lee Hooker would be doing. I was going to say, uh, um, I remember the first time I heard that song, LaGrange. Yeah. Is that, yeah. I remember the first time I heard it, and I thought it was Johnny Lee Hooker, where I first heard Johnny Lee Hooker was in the movie Blues Brother. Yeah. And then later, probably like, you know, a year or two later, I heard LaGrange, and I thought it was Johnny Lee Hooker, because oh, I was like, oh, that sounds like, that's that dude that, that's that Johnny Lee Hooker dude that was, he, he did the one song, he did that one song when they first before Ray Charles in Blues Brothers and then I was like my brother was like no that's ZZ Top and I'm like who? In terms of like why they have an argument to being underrated is because I think there's this thing where a lot of people think ZZ Top and they think the hits and they're like oh it's those 80s 80s kind of cool rock you know classic rock songs kind of sound there's some synthesizers on there but there's some yeah exactly they're thinking that And it's like, there is an underrating there of like, oh no, they're a really good blues band. But here's the reason they can't quite top yellow. Like I said, I went to do it like as much deep diving as I could today to prepare for this episode while I was at work and there is a certain point where it like with the ZZ Top not as much as some of the other ones but there was a point at in the ZZ Top where it kind of started to blend together we have one last on the great eight our number two versus our number seven our number two is the Pixies Number seven is Deep Purple. I agree, Deep Purple should be on this list. And Smoke on the Water is a fucking kick-ass song. But I've heard too many really bad smoke on the water yes. covers. Yes. It is it's such like a personal song. A little bit of a like, cliche, it's yeah. It's a banger from the beginning. It, it, it's like, you it's know. A solid, it's a very solid Alabama riff. Where it's like, okay, it's a well, really well, uh, No, it's a really good riff uh, where if you can. Uh, okay. Uh, um, oof. Let's just. Um, for, for multiple reasons of, of whether or not they actually suck, which they do, or whether they're some of their ideology should be avoided. Let's just let's just steer clear of Leonard Skinner. Let's just do all together. I'm just saying... If you want to talk about the Almond okay. Brothers, we'll, I'm let, just let, talking let's about do a that. song but that has a very recognizable riff. It has a recognizable, I'll agree. It is recognizable. Recognizable riff that's very easy to play. Yeah, very so... Very universal. You it's start something playing a lot it, of people The learn. whole fucking, fucking... Everyone around you starts going, Oh, shit, you're playing that. You know, like... Um, okay, Crazy Train, then. If I can't, if I can't do the Skinner, then it's... 
Crazy Train. Crazy Train, yes. Classic this thing you like every guitar player every learns. Every guitar it. player knows that, but everyone's like, going, oh shit, yo, yeah, yeah Crazy it's Train. It's a fucking Woo. awesome riff. Yeah. There's been so many people who have fucking butchered it. And yeah. fucking not played it as like. It's like in Wayne's World, where it's like there's the thing. No stairway. Where they high. have the sign in the guitar <laughs> shop, where like the sign on the wall saying no playing stairway, because yeah. every fucking person who play comes in and picks up the guitar is like, oh check it out, I learned how to play stairway. Smoke on the water is is also one of those. Crazy Train is one of those, where it's like, yeah, everybody who's learned you know how to do jack shit on a guitar has learned those riffs. Like these are the these are the ones everyone learns and so it's like you're like yeah i've heard it and i think the underrated aspect of it comes in in terms of there's more to them than just that one song like yeah that's what everybody immediately oh yeah smoke on the water and it's like well you know then that's not but just I, them. I, I, I but, am interested i am interested but i no, will no, say no. this okay I, go I'm, ahead i'm gonna you're gonna play something we got some music no we don't oh. you're gonna give me some music I am interested. Deep Purple, not Smoke on the Water. Give me a song. Exactly. I can't do it. You can't and do I it. was listening to him today, and I've already forgotten. Right. This is the thing. I made it the least far in Deep Purple because it, even more than the ZZ Top, started to blend together. There's definitely good guitar playing. There's definitely good riffs. But after a while, I started to lose track of when one song had ended and when the next one had began. Well, and a and a certain, at a certain point, I did think to myself, I got distracted with something, someone asked me something, and I went back to what I was doing, and I paid attention to the music I was listening to, and I'm like, why did I put on Fog Hat? And then it's like, oh wait, no, this is Deep Purple. And so I get it. Okay, so, and so I so get here's it, the thing that but, both of us agree that the Pixies move on. But the Pixies why? move on. Why? Here's why Deep Purple does not move on in the face of Pixies. Deep Purple played a strong part in the development of hard rock and ultimately and thus by extension metal but pixies played probably the main role in the development of indie rock and alternative so we're down to the final four final four so and this one's uh, talk about a knockdown drag out this is maybe this one might of the even, biggest this is gonna be the hard this is gonna be the hard call pixies versus violent Thugs. yeah let me lay down my... Uh, lay my... down your argument why Pixies win over Violet Well, Thugs. no. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to present my thoughts on one and my thoughts on the other, and then I'm going to leave it to you to make the final decision. How, how much you, in, how much you uh, let my, my uh, thoughts be weight is up to you. I'm going to leave it up to you. The Pixies. They should be a bigger name than they. Pe more people should be knowing about the Pixies than do. But for people who listen to indie rock, alternative rock, you know, all these subgenres of that... They know their job. They know the fucking Pixies. If the Pixies are James Joyce, the Violent Femmes are E.E. E. Cummings. Really well thought of in amongst the people who know, but not a quite the household name that they really should be for the influence they've played on modern, on modern music, on modern rock music. Just like everybody has heard of Ulysses. Everybody, you talk about the modernist movement, James Joyce, Ulysses, people know that fucking book. The way people people are like, oh yeah, the Pixies, they're that they're really influential. But you actually ask people how many people have actually sat down and read Ulysses. <laughs> There's a lot of people who haven't ever actually read it. They know it. They know it's important. They know it's the big one. They know it's the key. They haven't actually read it. That's the way the Pixies are underrated. People know the Pixies, but I don't think enough people are really listening to the Pixies. This should. 
for for the for what they're really doing, the level that and what they the part they played in rock music. Whereas everybody like you say E.E. E. Cummings and people are like, oh, the guy who did the weird punctuation shit. And I feel like there's an element of that with the violent films where people like you know you they'll recognize Blister in the Sun and it'll be like, oh, this kind of goofy weird alternative. Okay, but it's like you really throw on the albums and it's like they really fucking rock out. And they're doing different stuff. There's more. It's not just some simple like, oh, it's just another alternative band. You know, there's not no, buzz cut, buzz bin. You know, they're more than that. They've they've got more complexity than that. They've got a real unique sound. But I think the Violent Femmes kind of gets forgotten about they're like people in the nose respect and put the pixies on a certain pedestal exactly and i think there's even the people who who like this kind of music there's a lot of people who would be like oh yeah i've got i've got a there's a violent sims film song on that compilation that's right right after the cake one and right before the crash test dummies you know i could see people being thinking okay, of them okay, on a compilation yeah, yeah. with Let's that stop all that, that no, is a, i think they have a b52s kind of thing where it's just like it could be weird it could be silly like we're just gonna very, go for it that's a you very know? good comparison and i think in this and if it, the pixies met the b52s that's five two 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 for my family and three 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 for my heartache and four 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 for my headaches and five 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 for my lonely and six 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 for my sorrow and seven seven and then no tomorrow and Well, and I was gonna say, like, there's an apt comparison between the Violent Femmes and, and I think the, you know, the B-52s, where it's like, you say B-52s, people think Love Shack, right? And I feel like there's a little bit of that with Violent Femmes, where it's like, there's so much more. Like, if you, if you really get yeah. into, if you really get into what B-52s, like some of the shit they have, and like how how weird and experimental, well, and like I playing mean, with things they were. Rock lobster. But the thing is, is that like they just fucking just they didn't care. They wanted yeah. to do their music, even if it was weird. Yeah. Whatever. They weren't maybe. afraid to get weird. But also, they were fucking rocking. Okay, so Thames uh, <laughs> moved on. Um. Oh. So now we got a very very. Heated conversation because to me this is a I slam am not, dunk. I, I know don't... it's easy as hell for Oklahoma. Oh but yeah. But for me, this is not as simple, and I want to give some love. All right, let's hear it. Go for it. Make your argument. Kinks versus ELO, and this is this is where I have to put the hard fucking work in. I have to convince you about the Kinks. The Kinks, I do think, are super underrated. I really do. I know you don't feel that way, but this is why I need to make my arguments here. You don't put the kinks in the same level as like The Who, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles. Mm. Like you don't put them in that same level, mm. but they kind of should be. 
like they were kind of doing some next level shit. You know the the whole thing of music is the soundtrack of your life kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's an old saying. And I feel like people the reason why I think they're maybe underrated is that like they've left this legacy. Particularly if you're watching a Wes Anderson movie, there's always a few kink songs in there and they fit perfectly and they do sound like a soundtrack to someone's life. Like it it does feel like this music is a part of you. At least I feel that. I know you Oklahoma you have your own feelings about the kinks kink songs do work well in soundtracks i will i will admit that i think that does have a testament to how well they are written and how they are good songs even if you don't like them you can appreciate the fact that what he's doing musically is connecting with a lot enough people where them yeah. featured an interesting connection elo has done that as well with the other great anderson pt anderson fucking him using it for the credits on boogie nights you know but there's i feel like on the deep deep cuts more so than like their big hits which i think most people when they hear you really got me they think of diamond dave more than the kinks you know when it comes down to yeah, it yeah the van the van halen cover version is more what people are familiar with now right and but i think they have it, it's the fact they have such a deep catalog and most people the kinks maybe they'll think of that song maybe they'll think of a hit song or two, uh, the other but just in the the referential representation in entertainment the way that it's used by you know particularly Wes Anderson I think it has musically a deeper reach than we realize so that's why I want to make the argument I know it's a hard uphill battle here but I do want to make the argument they're very aptly rated and I, I do love the kinks and I do think that there should be on that list for a reason I see what you're saying you don't agree but you see what I'm saying and that's all I'm trying to get out and of here. here's the thing is like I said to me it's it's like you just said it a minute ago you said the kinks are underrated because nobody puts them on the level of like the Beatles, nobody puts them on the level of the of Led Zeppelin or the Who, right. and they kind of should be. And here's here's my thing. Here's why the here's why the Kinks are accurately rated because you can have someone who can make a case for why they should be, but they don't quite get there. It's and that's why they're accurately rated. They're thought of as a like we said about you know with the in the first round. You know here's they they beat out Credence because we said Credence. Their Credence was a default though. They're, they're a right. B. Yeah. They're a B plus, and everybody thinks of them as a B plus. They're accurately rated. Here's here's what I, I will say. I do get that the Kinks are maybe more accurately rated than ELO. Exactly. Here's what I'm gonna say. So we said to use this metaphor. You know the Credence was a B is a B plus, and everyone thinks of them as a B plus. What I'm saying is kinks are a solid A, and some people think of them as A minus, but not a B, not a B plus, A minus. So it's like it's right on that border of like, are the are they underrated? Because it's like it's not like they're dropping a full grade here. You know, they're still A, but minus. So I can see the argument for putting them on this list. Putting them number one on the list is the thing that I'm kind of like, ugh, I don't know about that. ELO I think is rated at a B plus, and they are. Are like a high A. They they they're. I'm, I don't know if I give. I love yellow, but I don't know if I give them the A plus. Like that's got to be reserved for the real fucking. You know the Beatles and the people who been you know who really changed shit have to be the A pluses. But ELO Not is like everyone a, can be Jordan. Yeah, but ELO is getting like they are they are an A with 96. Like they're on they're they're close. 
I think it's closer. And so to me, that's like, that's definitely a bigger underrating. The kinks are kind of on this line, like they're still in A category, you know? So it's kind of, you could say they're underrated, but they're also, uh, it's it's gray. That's the thing. The kinks, CCR was accurately, we both agreed, is accurately rated. Crystal clear. The kinks are kind of in the gray area of how people exactly are rating. Like the, the, the what the kinks are being rated today depends on the weather kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a moment to moment thing. Sometimes they are being a little forgotten. And then someone, then Wes Anderson puts them in a movie and everybody's like, oh, fuck yeah, the kinks were great. You know? So it's kind of like it, they're kind of like playing the seesaw act with being underrated. The whole thing of this in the first place of making these lists is to insert my perspective in it and people are going to argue it, you know, and so yeah. that, that should not without expectation and I think that in your perspective, that's definitely how you see it. I see it and I get why how you see it that yeah. way. I do see it more as maybe not a full grade, but it's like kinks are probably A minus almost like 93% and where they are socially on the zeitgeist is that more like an 88 89 like they aren't they're not in the valid victorian running you right. know what i mean but they're near the top of the class maybe they're yeah they're somewhere in the like 91 to 89 area you like know do i, I mean? give is this a b plus or an a minus exactly well i think that that's kind of what i'm saying and it's like no I, they're I'm right just, in there they're in that line area i can see the just half a to a minus point that you're making there uh, but i i give it a little bit more and that's just perspective that's just how we see things because i i have i think more a little more tenderness for the kinks and but i do agree with you that elo is like a full grade if not a grade and a half from where they should be in the cultural understanding of music. Exactly. But this is a harder match for me than you, though. This is actually the the Violent Femmes and Tears for Fears round. This is my version of that. Like, yeah. I didn't have as much with the Tears for Fears stuff, but I have more with this one, you know? And I think we're both on the same page. We both know where this is going. Yeah, let me, let me throw it down. Let me throw it down for ELO. I'm depending on you to make this argument because I don't know if I have it in me. Why is EOLO better? Why does EOLO deserve it? Because. To me, ELO is doing, like I said, I compared it earlier to, we both compared it earlier to, to the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. It's composerly shit. It's really thinking about like all the aspects of the music. There's the strings and the harmonies and the, the all the different sonic textures and the different things they're doing in the studio and in the using the recording, using the really getting in that meta level of like thinking of it not like of like oh here's just recording us playing, but really like okay we're recording ourselves with these machines doing this process. How can we incorporate that into the sound? you know, in the kind of way, Brian Wilson, how can I use the studio as an instrument? ELO is doing that, and that's why, to me, ELO wins. Yeah, okay. We're at the finals now, folks. ELO versus Vitafence. I love the Vitafence. They are someone that should definitely be more in the conversation when we talk about, like, alternative rock as, you know, not just some... Kind of like, oh yeah, they were another band in the mix, but really like, no, they were fucking great. They had great fucking songs. They were really doing their own thing and developing their own sound, having a really, not just, you know, like riding the train, 
but really having a unique flavor and bringing something that was all their own to the scene and to to the sound and and I think that can they I think they get lost a lot in the shuffle but this Takiya it really comes down it's like I said it's he's really getting composerly with the music the reason he's underrated is because people are just hearing these like AM gold pop hits They're doing really complex, interesting, well-crafted, musical things. The whole progression of Mr. Blue Sky is just a perfect encapsulation of everything I'm trying to say about ELO, where it's like, you hear it and immediately you're like, you're happy. It's great. It is a super catchy, awesome, well-done pop song. And then you listen to it again. And And then then you listen again. And you're hearing all these layers. ELO does simultaneously great rock songs and great musical compositions. Yeah, exactly. Like... Classical fucking pieces. If if they're we've 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 talked it blue in the face about all the things, but in case we need any more arguments, the Nerd Obscurial Podcast is a Gadzooks and Nerd production. That's Gadzooks, G A D Z Double O K S. Find us on the web at gadzooksandnerd.com slash meow. Yes, meow. M-E-O-W. If you like the music, you can find more at gadzooksandnerd.com slash fields. That's fields, F-I-E-L-D-S. The Nerd Obscurial Podcast and its contents are, except for the steal this joke joke, the wholly owned and copyrighted property of Gadzooks and Nerd. So don't go stealing any of it, except, of course, for the steal this joke joke, or we'll have to sick big pretzel on you. Any works, products, concepts, or otherwise intellectual property not owned by Gadzooks and Nerd, mentioned or discussed in the Nerd Obscurial Podcast, are done so under fair use for the purposes of commentary, critique, and obviously comedy. So please don't sue us because we can't actually sick big pretzel on anyone. The views, ideas, opinions, and beliefs expressed in the Nerd Obscurial Podcast are solely those of its creator and your esteemed host, Eric the Troubadour, and do not represent the views, opinions, or beliefs of any individual or entity named, referenced, or alluded to in this podcast, including but not limited to James McAvoy, Leonard Nimoy, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and its parent companies, the Buggles, me, the Oklahoma Kid, the Borg and its parent companies, Alan Ginsberg, Tom Petty, my wife and her parent companies, the great state of Oklahoma, and of course, all cats everywhere on the internet. Hail Cthulhu. money (laughs) that would be great guys
<laughs> we haven't seen any yet. <laughs> you haven't. I would have, I would love to be able to see a CPA about our podcast. That would be nice. If we actually had to get to like a certified public account, we'd be like, you know, what do I owe? What are my t- expenses? All that kind of stuff. We don't have enough money for that. Whatever Oklahoma's getting under the table, I can yeah. speak to. Yeah, oh, 100% out of it. But that's, that's, that's not... I'm gay. Is some of it in livestock? That's not your business. What kind of livestock? Not your business kind. I'm just going to ask one question, and then I'll let go. Are you trying to breed platypuses? I feel like platypuses are like the sea urchins I have. of seafood. Like, Oh, see for seafood? Oh, oof. Well, you know they have sea urchin and um, sushi and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I know that. I'm saying right. eat a platypus. Ooh, that's rough. No. Nope. nope. You said livestock? I meant for, like, breeding purposes. Like dairy cows. It's for the eggs. Oh. Well, then, equal question. Platypus? They both have eggs and milk. Yeah. They're fucking weird. Did you know this about platypuses? They don't have udders. They secrete it through their skin. Really? Their mammary grounds, they actually secrete it through the skin. Really? And then their babies fucking drink it in the water. Oh, yeah. Well, they're just... It's all spread out. Oh, interesting. Platypuses are the weirdest fucking species on the earth, dude. They are bizarre balls. Like, what the fuck? They're pretty weird. And awesome. Thank you.